Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. On Friday, July 6, 2001, at around 6 a.m. on the south side of Chicago, Tracy Bradley, the mother of three-year-old Diamond Bradley and 10-year-old Tianda Bradley, had left her two daughters home while she went to work that morning. The girl's sister, Victoria, had a birthday on the following day. Their two sisters, Rita and Victoria, spent a night with their grandmother. Sadly, Neither Diamond or Tianda would be there to celebrate Victoria's birthday. Once Tracy returned home from work just before noon on July 6, she was met with a complete and startling silence. After Tracy rummaged through her apartment while yelling the girls' names, she soon realized that Diamond and Tianda were nowhere in the apartment. With Tracy frantically concerned on the whereabouts of her daughters, she discovered an odd note. Since then, there has been no sight of the girls, with speculation of sex trafficking, murder, sightings on social media, a voicemail that mysteriously disappeared, persons of interest, lies, an odd camping trip, and all of this with a common name, George. Don't answer the door. When I was in elementary school, I remember when we had an assembly on Stranger Danger, from what I can remember, it was an introduction into getting our identical ID cards so that if we ever went missing or something happened, our parents would have that identification card. This same initiative was also done at the mall for fingerprinting. This was in the 90s. My school also stressed the importance of not opening the door for strangers. We were tasked with creating a code word with our parents and guardians so that if anyone came to our door and did not give that code word, then we are not to open the door because it's an obvious threat on the other side. Well, this is where we look deeper into the disappearance of Diamond and Tianda Bradley. Whoever came to their Southside Chicago apartment door on that morning of July 6 was an unknown threat. Or were they? Did the girls know who the person was on the other side of the door? We have a name. We have a voicemail. The girls did know the person, but where are the girls today? We will get into the case details of what we know, the investigation, facts about the case, 
the oddities in the case that can mean something or some of nothing. The years of false promises, the recent update, in my opinion on what may have happened. We have a case that spans from Chicago to Morocco with over two decades of mystery and oddities, all with one commonality. This is the Missing Found Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Harlow. Before we get into the case, I have a few details to share about the show. The Missing Found is a true crime podcast focusing mainly on unsolved missing person cases in the Black community. The cases that I cover have either gone cold, have little to no media coverage, or have gone without conclusion. You can follow the show on Instagram at The Missing Found or on Medium at The Missing Found to read our original script. I also would like to mention that we have a case suggestion form in the show notes or description box that you can complete to submit your case suggestions that are of the Black and Missing. We have a Patreon that's now available for you to become a member in our private community to discuss cases deeper beyond our case analyses through live discussions, ad-free episodes, gain complimentary access to our original script, early releases, and bonus content and much more that's exclusive for members only. The show is now available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. To access all things of The Missing Found, you can visit our website at themissingfound.com. I ask that you please like, share, and subscribe and comment to share your thoughts on this case. This is case episode 15, The Disappearance of the Bradley Sisters, Diamond and Tianda. So who was Tianda and Diamond Bradley? Tianda Z. Bradley was born on January 20th, 1991 in Chicago, Illinois. Tianda is the second eldest out of the four daughters born to Tracy Bradley at this time. She has one older sister named Rita and another sister, Victoria, who was turning 10 the day after her disappearance. Tianda is described as a good girl who was smart, a gymnast who always won first place, loved dancing, outspoken, but also was described as timid around strangers or people that she did not know well or unfamiliar with. Tianda held her badge of being a big sister very high when it came to Diamond. She was a responsible 10-year-old and always walking around with Diamond on her hip, as Shalia Bradley Smith recalls, the girl's great aunt, as she told in an interview with Chicago Case Files. Tianda just had this shining light about her. Like steady running around the house and she had these dark eyes that used to scare everybody. It was crazy and Tiana, she like dancing and she like ran her bike but dancing was her favorite hobby, you know. Yeah. Just, she used to do a lot of stuff like she used to always be in gym, gymnastics. She always used to come in first place. She loved double dubs, she loved dancing and she was just the outspoken one of us out. Even me, you know, I was the, we was laid back and she used to just go out. Tracy Bradley, at the time, was a mother of four. And at the time of their disappearance, Rita was 12, Victoria was nine, and turning 10, Tianda was 10, and Diamond was three. Before we get into the actual case details, I want to introduce you to some locations that I will discuss in this case. Home, Lake Grove Village Apartments. This is where all four of the Bradley sisters live with their mother, Tracy Bradley. 
Their apartment complex was located in the Oakland area of Chicago and five miles from the Bronzeville area. School, Doolittle Elementary. Located only two blocks away from home in the school Tianda took summer classes. Grocery store, Jules or Jewel Osco. The local grocery store that is located in the Lake Meadows Shopping Center. This grocer is located across from Doolittle Elementary. You will hear this store being called Jules. Tracy's employment location in grandmother's apartment complex, Robert Taylor Holmes. The public housing project in which Tracy worked and where her mother lived, now demolished. As we're about to go into the case details, I want to make one thing clear. George, nor anyone, has ever been charged of any crime involving the Bradley sisters. For his privacy, I will not include a photo, any specific details about him, nor his last name. If you hear me mention the name George, which I will all throughout this case, there are two Georges in this case. One is a neighbor, and one was Tracy's boyfriend, George. The case details. Rule number one, don't open the door. On the morning of Friday, July 6, 2001, Tracy had an early morning guest over. A man named George had arrived to her apartment sometime between 3 and 4 a.m. George was not only Tracy's boyfriend, but he is actually three-year-old Diamond's father. About two hours later, around 6 a.m., George drove Tracy to work. Tracy was employed at an apartment complex, Robert Taylor Homes. She worked that morning shift and would prepare breakfast and lunch for the children's summer camp program. The plan was for George to take Tracy to work, pick her up from work. Together, they would pick up the girls from the apartment, pick up the cake for Victoria's 10th birthday that was on July 7th, and head off to Indiana to Lake Schaefer for a spare-of-the-moment camping trip. Indiana is a little over three hours away in driving distance from Chicago. We will discuss the camping trip further into the analysis. Now, on this early morning, Diamond was asleep, but Tianda may have been up for a moment when Tracy and George left that morning to start the short 8-10 to 10 minute drive to work at Robert Taylor Homes. On this particular day, Tracy's two other daughters, Rita and Victoria, stayed over their grandmother's house, Tracy's mother, Mary Bradley. Both girls were dropped off the previous evening, on July 5th. Tracy's mother lived in the Robert Taylor Homes Housing Authority, making Tracy in close proximity to Rita and Victoria while she'll be at work on the morning of July 6. The drive from Tracy's apartment building, 3500 block of South Cottage Avenue, in the Lake Village Apartments, to Robert Taylor Homes, is a 10-minute drive at most. Tracy had a strict rule for Tianda to follow while she was at work. That rule was to not open the door for anyone and to not go anywhere out of the apartment. Though Diamond was still a baby at age three, her big sister Tianda understood the rule. We have to remember, these are children. However, later this day, this rule was broken. Someone broke this rule, which leaves us where we are today with this mystery. While at work, Tracy made two calls home to check in on the girls between 7 and 8 a.m. There was no answer. Phone records have shown that there were other calls made to Tracy's apartment that went unanswered throughout the morning. 
There was also an outgoing call at 8.17 a.m. that was made from their apartment that went to her cell phone. This call to Tracy went unanswered and would be a key element into what happened in the last moments inside of apartment 301. The note. In the morning, a little before noon, Tracy and George returned home from picking her up from work only to be met with a cold silence. She would usually see the girls on the sofa watching television or playing a game, but this was not the case. She went through her apartment to locate the girls, calling their names, and there was no answer. After searching her apartment, she found a note in the living room on the back of the sofa next to a pile of clothes. The note was said to be in Tianda's handwriting, and it was stated that Diamond and Tianda were going to the store and a nearby playground. The local playground that Tianda had to be referring to is the playground that's a block away at her school, Doolittle Elementary, which is where she was due in that day for her summer class, another element we will get into later. The note was interesting because it contained details that the Bradley family knew Tianda could not write on her own. She had help. One oddity about the note is that it did not initially appear to be her handwriting. The grammar and spelling were too advanced for Tianda because she was in summer school to help her grammar and spelling. A handwriting analyst was consulted to see if the note matched Tianda's handwriting. And it did. Officials even went to her school to obtain previous papers that contained Tianda's handwriting. It was a match. I want to mention that this note is currently with the FBI, and the true contents of the note have never been publicly released, but only given a summary of it. We can summarize that the note stated the girls were going to the Jewel Osco grocery store and the school playground at Doolittle Elementary. The note is only a start of the many clues and questions and mysteries of their disappearance. After seeing the note and not being able to locate the girls herself, Tracy made calls to her neighbors and family members to see if they seen the girls. Tracy comes from a big family, as she is the eldest of nine siblings. Surrounding them, dozens of family members lived in the area. With the girls not being nowhere in sight, between Tracy and her family, a search ensued with the canvas of the neighborhood. At this time, no police have been called and won't be called until six hours later. It has been stated from sources that George did not participate in the search for the Bradley sisters, not even for his own daughter, three-year-old Diamond. However, he does dispute this claim. After an unsuccessful search with no sighting of the girls, hours later, at around 6 p.m., Tracy contacted the police and filed a missing persons report that reported Diamond and Tiana Bradley as missing. At this point, the girls have been missing for about 12 hours since Tracy and George left that early morning to head to work. Tracy explained that her reasoning for not contacting law enforcement sooner is because she was afraid of Child Protective Services getting involved because she left the young girls at home alone. Nearly 12 hours later, the search efforts. The Chicago police responded immediately Statistically and subjectively, this is uncommon when it comes to missing Black children in urban areas. The missing Bradley sisters prompted Chicago's largest missing person search to date. The initial search was immense. The search covered the grounds, went door to door, use of police dogs to sniff parked vehicles, 
woods, railroad tracks, dumpsters, a lagoon, vacant lots, nearby businesses, and yards. No stone was left unturned. And at this time, all officers were on site to canvass the area for the girls. On the second day, police were in the air and on the water using helicopters and the Marine unit in the intense search. A tip line was also set up by the Chicago PD. Several hundreds of tips came in, but none went anywhere. Tracy, the family, and close associates were all interrogated, including George. Both Georges, a neighbor and someone who babysat the girls, and George W., one of the last people to see the girls the morning of their disappearance, and someone who knew they were home alone. In the midst of the search, the initial report had reported the girls as missing and not abducted. This can be deceiving because it could appear the girls are runaways, which is not the case. Though it technically has not been physically proven the girls did not just run away, but we can assume that a 10 and 3-year-old just doesn't vanish without a trace, without the help of someone. They were taken. The report later changed to missing, endangered. The unfound voicemail. Ma, George is at the door. The day after the disappearance of Diamond and Tianda, on July 7th, Faith, Tracy's sister, thought to check Tracy's voicemail to see if there were any messages. It was not clear if Tracy had ever checked her voicemail at any time during the search or that late morning, early afternoon that she came home. Faith had initially set up the phones on a family plan, so she had knowledge of the PIN numbers. Shockingly, there was, in fact, a voicemail left from Tianda from the morning of July 6 at 8.17 a.m., not too long after Tracy initially called home to check on the girls. You would think just 17 minutes later, a call came through from Tianda, and right before that, Tracy called home. I do wonder why Tianda did not answer the phone. It could have been a multitude of reasons. Though a great mention, it is an element that has not been looked into and may not be relevant since we can only start from the outgoing call made from Tianda. The voicemail stated, verbatim, Ma, this is Tianda. Ma, pick up the phone. George is at the door. Can I open the door? He said we will be going to Jules to pick up the cake, then we're coming to pick you up from work. This voicemail alone is still one of the most prominent elements in this case today, 22 years later. As mentioned previously, there are two Georges. One George is the neighbor who sometimes babysat the girls, and he participated in the search. Then there's George W., Diamond's father, the man that Tracy had an on-and-off-again relationship with and some back-and-forth on the court-ordered paternity on if Diamond was his child. George, the neighbor, went by a distinctive nickname, and the girls knew him by that name. It is assumed that the George that Tianda was referring to was George W., Diamond's father, Tracy's boyfriend, the only George that knew the girls were in apartment 301 by themselves that early morning. The following day, on July 8th, only two days later, the voicemail oddly vanished. It was no longer saved on Tracy's phone. It is not clear if the voicemail was accidentally deleted or if it were purposely deleted by someone. Shalia Bradley Smith, the girl's great aunt, 
who has been a strong advocate and forced to help keep this case in the media, doesn't seem to believe the voicemail was accidentally deleted. She has alluded to someone possibly deleting it. Shalia has stated that only she and God knows what happened to that voicemail. This could be true, but why delete it if it has already been heard and heard by law enforcement? Again, this could have been by accident. Chicago PD claimed they did not delete it, and then you have some that have alluded to it being deleted by someone else. This has not been made clear, but we do know that an outgoing call was made from the Bradley residence, and a voicemail was left by Tianda. The voicemail is a prominent piece of evidence in this case. Not only is it assumingly the last call made from Tianda, but it also communicates who may have been on the other side of the door and was trying to gain access. The context clues are too strong to be coincidental. The voicemail clearly illustrates the plans that were communicated to Tianda to pick up the cake from the grocery store and to pick Tracy up from work. George W. was actually scheduled to pick her up from work. Specifically, he was Tracy's ride to and from work, which makes what Tianda said even more believable to have been George W. on the other side of the door. Are you following me? The voicemail breakdown. When you look at the voicemail, which has never been released to the public, you start to understand the subtle characteristics of Tianda. Tracy mentioned previously Tianda knew not to open the door for strangers. She taught her children how to navigate their community and how to not open the door when she is not home. We also have to remember that George may not necessarily be a stranger because he was Tracy's boyfriend and most likely the girls had some form of relationship with him, even if it were just short moments of communication. George was a familiar face. However, based on the voicemail left, Tianda knew not to open the door for him and to call her mother first. This is the rule she stuck by and abided to by her mother. Due to that missed call, she was left with having to make the decision on her own while not fully understanding the intent on the other side. The girls most likely were familiar with and trusted George. Whatever was communicated to Tianda, assumingly, is what was communicated to Tracy on the voicemail message. Whoever it was knew that Victoria's birthday was the next day. This case detail is important to note because the person on the other side of the door mentioned getting the cake from their local Jewel Osco because it would have been a surprise. It is bribery because Tianda knew Victoria's birthday was the next day. She knew they had to get a cake. She felt that it was going to be a surprise, so why not go? She did this in good favor of the plans to be a part of the surprise for her sister. She's 10. It was convincing enough, so it made sense to her. From the perspective of a 10-year-old, it just makes sense. It's, it's cake. It would be helping out, which Tiana was known to do, and it was for her sister. Additionally, the person also stated that they would pick up their mom from work. This is a lie because that's what it was. It further encourages Tiana to feel safe because soon the girls will see a familiar face, their mom. Tiana and Diamond leaving would have been okay, Right. Since this is all for a surprise celebration and they will be picking up their mom shortly after, you would think. This is why I say the communication given to Tianda was bribery to make her feel comfortable enough to open the door by adding assurance of the plans. There most likely was no aggression involved that would make her feel uncomfortable. 
The plan in secrecy failed because Tionda called her mother. George most likely was not aware of Tionda calling her mother and probably did not know it was done until the voicemail was made known during the search. Had she not left the message, we would not know the name or assumed name of the person. Either it was George or it was someone posing as a George. Because the person was forthcoming with who he was and the familiar plans, she had her guard down. With her mother not answering the call, it made it a decision she had to quickly make. Open the door for George or ignore the door and ruin the plans for her sister's birthday. Her mom didn't answer, so she had to make her own better judgment from a 10-year-old's perspective. We have to remember it was said that before Tracy and George left, she told Tiana to not open the door or go outside. George heard this direction, if this was in fact true, because he most likely was right there with Tracy when she told Tianda, if Tianda was even woke. Because it's not clear if this communication was made to her previously or on the morning of them leaving. I want to mention that it has been said that the Chicago Police Department claims they do not have the voicemail in their possession. However, the FBI may have it. This is also another element that has not been publicly confirmed. A missed day of summer school. On July 6th, Tianda was supposed to attend class. Tianda attended Doolittle Elementary School, which is walking distance from their apartment complex at Lake Grove Village Apartments, only two blocks away. Tianda was enrolled in summer classes at Doolittle, but officials stated that she was actually confirmed to be absent on Friday, July 6th the day the girls went missing. It is not clear what time her classes started or why she was absent on this day. Tianda was in summer school to help with her writing and spelling, which pushes the notion further away that Tianda most likely wrote the note on her own without assistance or guidance. If Tianda would have attended summer class at Doolittle, then where would that have left Diamond? Who would have watched Diamond? Tianda and Diamond were not with their sisters who were at their grandmother's house, Tracy's mother. This absence was planned, not with the school, but planned with Tracy because if Tianda was supposed to attend school that day, there would have been a plan for someone to watch three-year-old Diamond. It would have made sense for both girls to stay at the grandmother's house because it would put the girls closer to Tracy while she was at work. She would have not had to call home and risk Tianda not answering since the girls would have been safe at their grandmother's house and in close proximity to Tracy since she worked at the apartment complex. Remember, Robert Taylor Holmes was only a 10-minute drive from Lake Grove Village Apartments, where the Bradleys lived. Having the girls stay at the former would have not only been safe but convenient for Tracy. Which leads me to my next question. What was the reason for the girls staying home if they had plans to celebrate Victoria's birthday in some form or fashion since they were buying a cake? This part of the case I just can't make much sense of since they were planning a camping trip that excluded the birthday girl, Victoria and Rita. Perhaps the reasoning behind it has been presented to law enforcement and just has not been made public. The camping trip. There was some talk about a camping trip being planned that weekend in Indiana at Lake Schaefer. The trip included George, Tracy, Diamond, and Tianda. It did not include Victoria or Rita. Victoria was turning 10 years old. Turning 10 is a milestone birthday. A big celebration is often had, of any magnitude at your preference, to celebrate a child turning 10. 
Why would Tracy plan to go on a camping trip the weekend of her daughter's milestone birthday? It just does not make sense. The camping trip was planned by George. The trip would have been three hours away from Chicago to Indiana. This camping trip never happened because the girls disappeared. Well, it has been said that this camping trip was false. It was made up. It not only never happened since the girls went missing, but there were no existing plans or reservations for a camping trip made by George scheduled for that weekend. Odd. Yes. I want to also mention that there was some back and forth on whether George was Diamond's father. George did not believe he was Diamond's father, but a paternity test proved him to be her biological father only weeks before Diamond and Tianda went missing. The results came back a few weeks before the girls vanished. Though him and Tracy were an item, they had issues in their relationships with an argument happening shortly before the girls disappeared. The call that cost two decades. As I stated earlier, it was said that Tracy made a few attempts to call home to speak with the girls. Assumingly, this call was to check on them to see what they were doing and if they were okay while she was at work. At neither time did she receive an answer. At 8.17 a.m., a call came through to Tracy's cell phone, which was from Tianda. Tianda called her mother's cell phone and ended up leaving the voicemail because Tracy did not answer, as I detailed previously. The person that came to the door had to know they were home alone and they could not have come at such a more convenient time knowing they were alone while their mother was at work, with no one expecting to come over in that short time frame from 6 to 11 a.m. You would think that if Tracy has been calling home to speak with the girls, she would have had her phone near her to hear the call in case they called back. Not only to not answer it, but once she was picked up from work by George, she would have checked her phone to call them again and see she actually missed a call and had a voicemail. I do wonder, what if Tracy answered the phone? How differently could this have turned out? The true identity of the person at the door would have been known, and then it would then question, why? Whoever it was, why would they be there? In just that short time window, knowing Tracy wasn't home. The surveillance cameras. Cameras are often brought up when you discuss the case of the missing Bradley sisters because for them to have left a note, leave their home, then someone must have some record of them on camera. The cameras were reviewed at the apartment complex, but the camera on their building was positioned upward, as Detective Foster states with the Chicago Sun-Times. He said that it could have been because residents did not want illegal activity to be seen on camera. The Oakland area in which the Bradleys lived had high crime, low income, and high unemployment. Reading that statement about the cameras from Detective Foster was not alarming to hear. Due to the cameras being turned upward, it missed a vital and key piece of detail when it came to locating the girls. It's not clear if the camera position had been tampered with for this assumed abduction, or it had already been tampered with. Whoever had anything to do with this, I'm sure they knew the area well and most likely saw the cameras were not positioned properly, giving them more influence and ease to move forward with this plan. The cameras were reviewed at Jewel Osco, the local grocery store that was mentioned by Tianda in the note. There were two girls seen on the camera, but it turned out to not be Diamond and Tianda. Most likely, they never even made it to the store. The Joel Osco grocery store is a three-minute drive and a nine-minute walk from their apartment at Lake Grove Village. 
The girls were never there on that morning of July 6, 2001, which contradicts the note and the voicemail. There is still a possibility that the girls could have just left and were taken along their route, whichever direction that would have been. There were students that said they saw Diamond and Tianda at the school playground early in the morning, and once it was time to go to class, the students went inside and both sisters left. We've seen cases like this, specifically the case analysis that I did on Alexis Patterson, a seven-year-old girl from Milwaukee who went missing after a walk towards her school, accompanied by her stepfather. Like with Diamond and Tianda's case, the kids said they saw Alexis on the playground crying, but she never made it into the school. The children from Alexis's case were a few years younger, so their recollection could have been from a previous day. This is typical with young children to recall an event that could have happened days ago, but they recall it as it recently happened. However, the children at Doolittle Elementary claim they did see the girls. In my opinion, I don't think the girls ever went to the playground. The odd actions during the search. Tracy returned home from work at 11.30 a.m. She was accompanied by George because he not only dropped her off, but he picked her up from work, as planned. At no point, from what has been publicly released, did Tracy check her phone to see she had a missed call or voicemail from Tianda. Instead, once she returned home, she called for the girls, but there was no answer since they were not home. I do wonder how was her door upon entering? Was it unlocked or locked? I also would like to know if anyone else had a key. Did Tianda have a key or knew where to get the second key from inside the apartment? Did anyone make copies of her key that she was not aware of? These questions are vital because it lets us know who had access and if Tianda had locked the door upon leaving by herself or the unidentified person on the other side of the door. If she had a key and used it to lock the door behind her in Diamond, this lets us know that she locked the door or gave the key to the abductor, assumingly, to lock it. Still, at no times did anyone report any screams or anything indicating fear, aggression, stress, or that a crime has taken place. Further pointing to the person that the girls were in the company of was someone that they felt comfortable with and did not suspect something was wrong. One thing that was mentioned in the Chicago Sun-Times article is that before the family search began, Tracy borrowed $20 from a neighbor to buy food at Jewel Osco. We don't know what exactly was purchased. We do know that she went to the store because she had a receipt that is timestamped at 12.21 p.m. on July 6, 2001. Some may ask why would a mother go grocery shopping while her children are unaccounted for? I don't know. We also don't know if the trip was to, in a sense, kill two birds with one stone to locate the girls at the store and pick up some groceries while there. This is one of those elements that are odd, but is it enough to say it's anything more than that? Did Tracy know how urgent this was, or did she truly think that maybe Tianda is just pushing the bar and was not too worried since she did leave a note? At this point, Tracy did not know if her girls were just out playing or something else. Is it odd? Yes. But is it enough to say Tracy was involved or knew more? Possibly not. Once law enforcement were finally called six hours later, we do know that Tracy did initially tell several lies to conceal the fact that she left the girls home. 
According to Tracy, this was to prevent her children being taken away or her facing repercussions of leaving her children unattended. Before we go further into the case analysis, I want to recap and simplify the timeline of what we've covered so far to allow you to understand the series of events from when the Bradley sisters were last seen, the last call, and when things went quiet. The timeline. July 5th, 2001. Sometime during the evening, Victoria and Rita were both dropped off at Robert Taylor Holmes' apartment complex to stay the night with their grandmother, Tracy's mother. At 7.10 p.m., the game start time. Tracy had two friends over to watch the baseball game. It was the Chicago Cubs against the New York Mets. They were all drinking this night. Diamond and Tianda were present. It's not clear when the friends arrived, but they stayed for the duration of the game, which lasted three hours and 10 minutes. At 10 p.m., the two friends leave. Later, after the friends leave, a male neighbor came over. But according to Chicago Sun-Times, he never came further than the front area of their apartment unit. He claimed to have not seen the girls. This does not mean the girls weren't there, just out of sight while he was there. July 6, 2001. The day the girls go missing. Between 3 and 4.30 a.m., George, Tracy's boyfriend, and Diamond's father arrived to the apartment where Tracy and her four daughters lived. Lake Grove Village Apartments. Diamond, Tianda, and Tracy were present. At 6.15 a.m., George spent the night at the Bradley residence. Then two hours later, he took Tracy to work at Robert Taylor Homes. Her shift started at approximately 6.30 a.m. Between 7 and 8 a.m., Tracy called home a few times, assumingly to check on the girls while she was at work. She was concerned but assumed they were asleep. At around 8.17 a.m., an outgoing call was made from Tracy's home to her cell phone. It was discovered that this was Tianda calling. This call went unanswered. She left a voicemail to say, quote, Ma, George is at the door, end quote. This element was found out on July 7th, the next day. At 11 a.m., it is not clear the exact time George arrived to pick Tracy up from work. Both Tracy and George arrived to her home at around 11 or 11.30 a.m. to return to an utter silence. The girls were nowhere in sight. This is when the note was found on the back of the sofa next to a pile of clothes. At 12.21 p.m., Tracy went to Jewel Osco to purchase food after borrowing $20 from a neighbor. There is a receipt to support this timestamp for the grocery store visit. Between 12.30 and 6 p.m., Tracy, her family, and the community went searching for the girls by conducting their own ground search. At 6 p.m., police were finally called. A heavy search ensued. Tracy and George both were brought in for separate questioning for 22 hours. Family members and others were also brought in for questioning. This is where we're left with finding the girls. So far, we've covered the case details and search efforts. Now, I want to focus on George, Tracy's boyfriend and Diamond's father. The new development of Diamond being found, in my opinion. After their extensive questioning, both Tracy and George lawyered up. I want to make it clear that because someone gets a lawyer, it does not automatically mean that they're guilty. This protects their right to counsel, 
Because just like the saying goes, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. A completely innocent person can say the wrong thing and it can be used against them, which in turn puts their freedom and innocence at jeopardy. George and everything we know. When you really look at the facts of the case, you can't help but to focus on this one person, George. Not much has been shared about George, except he is Diamond's father. The relationship he had with Tracy and that he was employed as a welder. We know there were two Georges in the girls' lives, with one being a neighbor who would sometime babysit the girls and Tracy's boyfriend and Diamond's father. As I stated, the neighbor George had a nickname that the girls referred to him by. The only George Tionda called George is Diamond's father, Tracy's boyfriend. We are informed about George because he is one of the last to see the girls and his name was mentioned on Tracy's voicemail from Tionda which has since been deleted. We just don't know which George Tionda was referring to. Though we've never heard the voicemail and only received the verbiage of it, it has been assumed that the George Tionda was talking about is George W., the man who was just at their apartment hours earlier to take their mom to work. George did confirm that he took Tracy to work, but denied returning back to their apartment after he dropped her off. What's interesting is George came over hours before he had to take her to work. I'm not sure if this was a regular occurrence, but why did he arrive so late to spend the night? What was he doing before arriving to the apartment that early morning? Was it just a late night visit so he can already be there to take her to work? Or was it something else? When I say something else, I'm referring to possibly understanding the moving parts of the environment and routine. Even after George dropped Tracy off, where did he go? At some point, he would have had to go somewhere until it was time to pick her up from work. If he didn't go back to the Bradley residence, then where did he go? Did he go home? This is important to know because you would think he had to go somewhere to at least rest until it was time to pick her up or get things ready for this trip to Lake Schaefer. He would have had five hours of downtime from the time he dropped Tracy off until the time he had to pick her up. According to reports, he gave conflicting stories of his activities after dropping Tracy off from work. We also don't know his work schedule to know if he got off work then went straight to Tracy's home. George was questioned and investigated, but not enough details were there to formally charge him of any crime. Do I think there were some elements that were missed that Chicago PD could have examined further? Absolutely. George has always maintained his innocence, even still today. Evidence pointing to George. Evidence 1. Law enforcement discovered that George had a receipt in his home from a recent purchase. The receipt was from Home Depot. It was for the purchase of gloves bleach, and large contractor bags, all of which were found in his garage. Evidence 2. A strand of Tionda's hair was found in his trunk. George said that he would sneak the girls into drive-in theaters in the city. Law enforcement made mention that there were no drive-in theaters in the city and only in the suburbs at that time. Evidence 3. Four teenagers and three neighbors said they saw George setting fire to something in a 55-gallon drum in his backyard garage. This occurred 10 miles south of the girl's home. 
He was then seen putting the barrel into his trunk and driving away. George, however, disputed this claim. He claimed to have never burned anything in a drum, according to police. But he did say he was doing work on his home and that he did dump debris in garbage containers in Washington Park. Police searched Washington Park but found nothing. It is not clear if they found nothing as in nothing relating to the girls or nothing as in no sign of any debris from George that he claimed. If it is the latter, that speaks volumes. Evidence 4. He gave conflicting stories on his actions the day the girls disappeared. I have heard that George made an unusual amount of calls the day the girls went missing, but I cannot locate a source for that information. Both Tracy and George took a lie detector test. Tracy passed, but George's test was inconclusive. An inconclusive test means the examiner is unable to render a definite diagnosis of truth or deception. Man from Morocco, Tianda's father. There has been a mention, or a theory, a man who was Tianda's father being involved. The theory led to Morocco. The family said that the children who saw the sisters at the playground that morning recall seeing a fair-skinned man in a trench coat approach the sisters and began talking to Tianda. The tip led an investigator to travel to Morocco to locate the girls and nothing ever came of that tip. I have to say, this is an interesting tip. I can't say this is true. Sure, a possibility, but a trench coat, this would make sense in a movie, but in real life, I doubt. This man would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Teachers would have seen a man in a trench coat. It was a mention, but I don't think this holds any weight to it. 2023. Diamond found? In May 2023, a TikTok video went viral with a young woman and her friends claiming that she is missing Diamond Bradley. And I'm only mentioning this one because this one did go pretty viral, opposed to the other 12 cases of girls saying that they are the missing Bradley sisters. I have my thoughts on this, but I won't get into them here. I can't say whether or not it is actually Diamond Bradley until DNA tests are done and made public. The family has been the victim of 12 hopes with people stating they are the missing girls, but this one may be promising. Whether or not the young lady is Diamond, she could be a victim and missing. At the time of my analysis on the missing Bradley sisters, the DNA test results from the FBI have not been made public. My opinion. This case has a lot to unpack. Not because of the details, but the details we don't know. I knew there would be a long journey ahead with digging for the details and really determining how in-depth I wanted to go in this case. The questions I have outweigh the details. I've watched several interviews, read articles, maps, and a host of other elements that I've reviewed to develop a thorough analysis. Even still... There is more to discuss, more than I can cover in just one case analysis and on one episode. We can't ignore the fact that it may not have been George. It could have been someone else using the false name as George because they may have been someone close to know Tracy was in a relationship with someone named George. 
there is not even a clear indication that this person even entered the apartment at all. I can only assume they entered, briefly, because assumingly once Tianda opened the door, they came in to get out of the hallway to avoid being seen and guide her on what to include in the note since leaving a note was uncharacteristic for her. We don't really know how this all took place. When you look at the details, George did not know Tianda called her mother. He could not have. George provided enough realistic details that made sense to Tianda to gain her trust, but he knew those girls would not be returning home. He needed to gain access, and he bribed her with something familiar and made sense. The birthday cake and picking her mom up from work. What we do know is that the girls were said to be left home. George slept over and took Tracy to work. Then the girls just vanished. Somehow they left or were taken from the apartment. I guess you're wondering, how can we know for sure that the girls were, in fact, in the apartment once Tracy and George left? Well, the phone call from Tianda coincides with the alibi coupled with the voicemail left on Tracy's phone. Whoever responsible knew Tracy was not home and the girls were alone. They knew her schedule. They knew she would not be home for a few hours. And they knew that Victoria was having a birthday the following day to come up with the story to buy a cake. They knew to make Tiana write that she and Diamond will be going to a nearby playground to position this case as a random abduction as if the girls snuck out at their own volition. This case has been executed, in my opinion, as the most convenient and perfect crime that allowed the person or persons responsible to simply walk to the door, come up with this convenient and elaborate story, and just take the girls. When you look at the facts, you have to wonder, who knew all of this information to pull off a crime at the right time? There is no doubt in my mind that this was someone they knew and close to the family. This was someone that had an inside look and a front row seat to know what was going on and when. The person or persons involved had a lot of control and time on that morning. There is one person, so far, that I can see who had this much access and know all. As I said, this had to be someone who they knew and knew the day's schedule. The girls felt comfortable with this individual. The question is, why? Why did this person take the girls? What was the gain? As we all know, predators like this don't really need a reason. But when you think about the person being around family, you have to question their intent. To revisit the note, what's interesting about it is that it included them going to the playground. If they were at the playground, this could be the last place they were seen in positioning the theory of a random kidnapping at a park versus them being targeted by someone they knew. This note was no doubt in my mind, staged. Tiana was coached on what to write and how to write it, which explains why the grammar was perfected which is the very thing she was taking summer classes for to improve on. A note would have been the perfect piece of evidence to make it appear the girls just up and left on their own. The person on the other side of the door most likely did not know Tianda called her mother. This is where the plan became interrupted. Had this person known that, everything most likely would have been called off because a name was revealed. Tianda did exactly what she was supposed to do, call her mother. Then you have to wonder, 
Why was this unplanned trip to Lake Schaefer only with George, Tracy, Diamond, and Tianda, and not with the other two sisters, when it was Victoria's birthday? It does not make sense. It also does not make sense that Tracy would leave the two girls home alone when they could have went to work with her and stayed in the grandmother's apartment until she got off work, which she was there for only a few hours. There are a lot of things that occur that has been publicly shared that makes this opportunity so perfect and accessible. We all make mistakes or misjudge until after it happens, then we realize what we could have done. Then there are people who look from the outside in. Tracy was trying to make money to feed her family. I get that. At one point, Chicago PD was focused on the boyfriend, George, but it was all circumstantial. According to sources involved in the investigation and from the Chicago Sun-Times, the family pressed prosecutors under the then Cook County State's Attorney, Richard Devine and Anita Alvarez, to charge George. But the circumstantial evidence was simply not enough at the time to move forward. Just to think that he was up and out, heading to Tracy's home at 3 a.m., stayed for a few hours, took her to work, went somewhere, then came back to pick her up. Five hours is a long time, but to pull off a crime like this, I don't know. As far as we know, nothing was ever found of the girls. No trace. He gave access to his home and car to law enforcement, which is how they found the strand of hair in his trunk due to his claim of sneaking the girls into drive-ins in the city. George knew the time Tracy had to be to work. The time she got off work, the time he needed to pick her up, the span of time the girls were home alone, and through him, he was the transportation. Tracy relied on him to drop her off and pick her up. George was the moving part. This is not to say George was involved or even the person at the door. I also look at the possibility of George being innocent, and it was all a coincidence. We've seen this before. I look at all angles. How did Tianda really know that it was in fact George, or did she think it was George? She was familiar with him, so she would have known. In order for her to have left that voicemail, she would have assumingly confirmed that it was George in order to ask her mom if she could open the door specifically for him. Or, Tianda could have looked out of the peephole and saw that it was George. This detail is not known, and truly only Tianda and George would know this answer. Whichever, George. It was said that the note she wrote was not written under duress. This means she did not feel uncomfortable or under any stress writing it, further pushing the belief that it had to be someone she knew well and felt confident with, even after she opened the door. According to relatives, though not confirmed, it has been said that Chicago PD did not secure the apartment unit which can severely compromise the scene of what we now know as a potential crime scene. Investigators, family, and police had access in and out of the apartment. Investigators have never confirmed or denied this claim. Tracy was uncooperative in the initial investigation. This could easily demonstrate her distrust for law enforcement, which is unfortunately common among certain communities in law enforcement. Or it could mean something else. Tracy received a lot of public scrutiny from those in her community. They placed blame on her. A mother who went to work to feed her children and provide even the most basic needs turned into two decades of unanswered questions.
It's been a little over 20 years. This family needs answers. It's a case that is a convoluted mystery that's missing a few key pieces. You can look at it as it's missing some details, or you can look at it as there are enough details that just don't add up. At the end, we want to know what happened and why. Who would want to make these girls disappear? Who had a reason to make this happen? Who all were involved? Was this planned? Who was in Tracy's life up until the last day to have so much access to her schedule to know they were home alone? I'll let you answer that question on your own. Lastly, where are the girls today? No trace evidence was ever found that we know of. No clothing, no bodies, no camera footage, no witnesses that we know of in a case full of mystery, untruths, and a crime that was made so perfect and convenient that it's impossible to say otherwise. Whoever responsible, I do believe they were close to the family, but I'll let you decide. A random abduction is just not on the table for me. Whatever happened at 3526 South Cottage Grove Avenue on July 6th remains a two-decade-long mystery, but I doubt it's just as much as a mystery as some think. Sometimes the answers are right there. Until people start talking and sharing what they know, because I believe there is someone out there who knows more, this case will remain open, unsolved, and hauntingly cold. time of Diamond's disappearance, she was three years old, stood at three feet and weighed 40 pounds. Diamond is a female, African-American, has brown eyes, and has black hair. Diamond has a medium complexion and wore her hair in braided ponytails with purple ponytail holders. She has a scar on the left side of her scalp. At the time of Tianda's disappearance, she was 10 years old, stood at 4'2", and weighs 70 pounds. Tianda is a female, African-American, has brown eyes and brown hair. She had a burn scar on her left forearm about the size of a quarter. Tianda was last seen wearing green ponytail holders in her hair and had a scrape on her left calf. Tianda would be 32 years old in 2023. If you have any information or leads in the disappearance of Diamond or Tianda Bradley, their current whereabouts, or any information concerning both sisters, it should be directed to your local FBI office. And I have included the link in the description box. You can also contact the Chicago Police Department at 312-745-4290. There is currently a $10,000 reward for information in the case of the missing Bradley sisters. I want to thank you for your viewership of Diamond and Tianda's case. Their family is still awaiting answers. We know people just don't vanish. Someone has the answers to this over two decade long mystery. The perfect crime at the right time, an open opportunity, 
and that one person holds the answers. Hopefully we don't have to go another decade without knowing. As always, please be safe, be vigilant, and always be aware of your surroundings. May God bless and keep you all. My kids that uh, has been missing, you know, for uh, four years, and it's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's very hard. Summer is the toughest time of year for Tracy Bradley. It was four years ago today that her daughters, Tianda, 10, and Diamond, just three, vanished from their apartment in the Oakland neighborhood. Bradley says whoever took the girls also took a huge piece of her heart and her life. In your heart, though, you must wonder who would want to who want to hurt you? I don't know, and it just hurts a lot, you know? And it's going to continue hurting until they return. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, verse 9. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.